I want to start with a couple quick updates um, on my life, because <laughs> you guys have been journeying with me uh, through some things lately, and then uh, we'll jump into our scripture. So a lot of you know, but not all of you uh, know, that I've been battling this pretty massive infection uh, in my toe to the point where they're like, well, we can cut it off, or we can try and save it. Um, and on this past Wednesday, I went to the doctor. It was very exciting because I got the all clear. My toe has been healed. Yes. Yes, that is super exciting. I love all 10 of my toes, I discovered, as I've shared. Um, so that was a big uh, day for me. So I'm going to finish up my antibiotic treatment uh, in the next few days. Then I get the tube that's in my arm right now. Uh, that's going into uh, my chest. They're going to pull that out. That is going to be a big relief. Uh, thank you for all of your prayers throughout this journey. It was really scary uh, thing to come through, and um, I think I've learned a lot from it. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's been it's been crazy. Um, my other update is sort of on long-term life things. This past week, I got to go up to Palos Verdes and interview with this group called the Board of Ordained Ministry, and they are the group that sort of oversees all of the pastors, Methodist pastors in our area, and so this interview for me was the culmination of five years of graduate theological education, uh, 200-page papers that I had to write. I've had multiple interviews as well as psychological evaluations. Um, I passed those. Miracle, right? No. Um, I, I four years as a youth worker and a community organizer. I had a Methodist church in Long Beach. Almost three years as a pastor here in Escondido. Uh, it's been a long journey. And really, this journey started when I was 17 as a senior in high school, receiving the call to ministry from God. I'm going to be 34 uh, in a few weeks. So... 17 years, half of my life, I've been living into this call. So this is the culminating moment, this one interview, these two hours up in Palos Verdes. Um, but yeah, I'm very humbled. I'm excited to share that I have been recommended by the board uh, as to be ordained as an elder in full connection with the United Methodist Church at our annual conference. And I know what you're thinking. What does all that mean, right? Uh, well, it means that if you come to Redlands, beautiful Redlands, California, on June 20th, the weather's probably going to be 110 degrees, uh, you get to see me dressed up in a robe because, um, you know, some of my colleagues are a little more formal than I. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, um, I'm super excited uh, uh, to be ordained. It's been a long journey, and my pastoral identity has been deeply shaped uh, by each of you here, and um, while this is something that, that, that I'll be receiving, laying hands on from the bishop, I think it's something very much shared with all of you. I think pastoring is a mutual uh, thing. It's something that we do together. Like, I can't pastor, I'm not a pastor if I don't have anybody that I'm working with. So hopefully uh, you feel that your journey has grown and been enhanced through uh, me living into my call here and I know that my uh, journey has been greatly enhanced and deepened and grown so much through the ways that you have poured into me. So thank you for that. I appreciate it.
Can we talk about Jesus now? I like talking about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus and the Spirit of God some more. We're in this season of Lent, and we're uh, in this series called The Spirit Between, and asking what does it mean to live a spiritual life and a robust spirituality uh, sort of between these realities in the world of life and death and cross and resurrection. So I'd like to invite Brittany up here to read for us out of the Gospel of Matthew. And as she's coming up, I invite you guys to stand as you're able as a, as a sign of respect and reverence for this word of God this morning. All right, Matthew 17, 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to be them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The word of God for the people. Last week, we were in the desert with Jesus and Satan and temptation. And this week, we're moving to a different geographical location. We're up in the mountains now. And this is really interesting because neither of these places is urban um, or human-crafted. They're not crowded landscapes where we tend to think that the important things of life happen where the decisions are made that kind of change and affect the world. These are pretty remote and wild places. They're these locations that are disconnected from the busyness of of culture and of buying and making and working and all of this. They're they're slow places. They're, They're empty places. They're these contemplative places, places for prayer and reflection and thought. So spirituality, I think we see from the spirituality how Jesus does it, invites us into what I would call a certain type of ecological minimalism. I know what you're thinking, what in the world does that mean? It's just a fancy way of saying that following Jesus means sometimes it is essential for your soul and your spirit and your life to get out and get away. Get out and get away. Jesus would often leave the crowds and all the people that he was ministering with and who were following him, and he would go to the nearby hills or mountains in order to pray, to be refreshed, to do his spiritual practices, to connect with God, his Father. I think the question for us is, like, when was the last time that you got out and you got away, not just for vacation, Not just for fun, but for intentional work of soul care and spiritual practice. I think this is something that's very important for us to do. It's important to get it on our calendar, to get it into our routine. 
during Lent as we're preparing for Easter, I really encourage you, pick a weekend, pick a day, pick a Saturday, get out, get away, get disconnected from the routines of life for very spiritual purposes, for soul care purposes, for prayer. Because the Spirit is there in both of these places. The Spirit's there in the desert, and the Spirit's there in the mountains just waiting for Jesus to show up, and I think for us to show up as well. So in our story today, this particular time that Jesus gets away, it's interesting, he brings kind of his three bros with him, his dudes. He's got Peter, James, and John. And these are actually the first followers of Jesus. And they're the ones who are going to be with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's the moment before he's going to be taken to trial and then to the cross. Jesus uh, is with these three. And I think this is really important that these guys are here in these important moments uh, because it dispels this misconception that we have about the spiritual life. Uh, and this misconception is this, that it's simply a personal thing, that it's just between us and God. Um, yeah, that's part of it. Like there's an intimate space in those moments that are just between you and your creator, or between you and the ground of being the immensity of all things, there are those moments, absolutely. But I think that most of the spiritual life, as most of life is, it's meant to be lived in rich layers of community. So first of all, Jesus had these moments just alone with God, absolutely. But then he had lots of moments where his, he, he had his three like ride-or-die bros with him, right? Peter, James, and John. And then beyond that, there's the 12 disciples that we're most familiar with, right? Like we know he had these 12 disciples that were sort of following him and doing life with him. Then beyond the 12, there's this another layer of community. There's actually the 70 or the 72 that Jesus in the Gospel of Luke sends them out after they've been following in order to do this kingdom work of God in the world. So that's another layer that we have there. And then we have the masses. Jesus is always with masses of people that are following him, that are, that are showing up to hear him preach and teach and to receive healing from him. So there's all these different layers of community that Jesus is embedded with and doing his life and spirituality within. And so I think um, each of us Here's sort of the rub with this. I think each of us has a different layer of community that we're most comfortable within. And when we're comfortable in that space, that's the space that we tend to stay within. So some of us are really good in like those small one-on-one. -on -one. We just have a few people that we let in and that's sort of it. So our edges, we might need to like connect with uh, a, a small group, you know, that 12 or, oh, you know what, maybe I'm really comfortable coming to church. You know, there's like 70 people or whatever. I'm comfortable in that, but I don't want to let anybody into that intimate layer of community, you know, the two or three. We keep people out of that. We got to figure out, we all know like what areas of social engagement we're most comfortable with. And we need to allow God to open us up to those other layers. And sometimes it's just showing up in those spaces. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult at first, but it's going to be essential to your spiritual life and your spiritual journey. 
Um, like, sure, you can have a relationship with God. Absolutely. People have a relationship with God and they don't let anybody into that space. But I think the reality is that if that's the only space and layer of community that you're doing community is, your spirituality is probably going to be pretty anemic and weak. And I think it's going to be very difficult to grow within that and especially growing into our call as people of faith and people that follow Jesus. Our call is to sow into to invest into the kingdom of God, which is spilling out into all of the world. That's what God is doing. That's why God sent Jesus to inaugurate and start this work of the kingdom of God. And we're supposed to continue into that. In order to do that, we have to have a robust spirituality that engages all these different layers of community, not just that which we're most comfortable within. Definitely be there, but expand your layers of engagement and, and the layers of community that your spirituality is within. So Jesus is there this time with his bros. He's up on the mountain and he gets transfigured. He gets transformed. The story says his face shone like the sun and his clothes turn into this dazzling white. This is pretty impressive. This is the sacred and holy moment. And thinking about this moment, I've been thinking about it, and I was talking to this guy the other day, uh, and he said this about life, and I thought it was really good and important. He said, like, the thing about life is life is this big contradiction between two things. He said, between profound disappointment and startling surprise. And I was like, wow, that's a really good insight. And I think the challenge is how are we going to be open to both of those things, both disappointment and surprise at the same time. I think our culture um, is very cynical and tries to pull us down into disappointment and overwhelm us with, uh, with, with, with all the loss and the hurt and the sorrow. That's one side of it. But I think on the other side of culture as well, we have like an entertainment culture that tries to make all things just shine incessantly. That's like Las Vegas going constantly all the time with all the lights. And I think spirituality, the work that we're invited into is how do we hold both of these things together in, in a way that disappointment is taken seriously, like we can feel it and we can allow it to have some space, but we don't allow it to be the final word on life and our experience. And then on the other side, how do we uh, have surprise and, and let it come in in order that on the difficult days, it gives us permission to see things like beauty. There's immense beauty in the world or to see authentic love in the world or real relationships and connections that grow and blossom. So really what I'm trying to say, I, I know that's all a little heady. What I'm trying to say is that is that life can be both a mess, life can be a complete mess sometimes, and it can also be incredibly holy and sacred all at the same time. And so last week in the desert, right, Jesus is sent into the mess of temptation and struggle. And within that, 
what was happening last week was there was the spirit there, the spirit of God whispering the words, you are my beloved, you are my child, you're mine, you are mine. God was speaking that into the mess. And then here on the mountain, right, when the veil is pulled back and there's, there's this glory and the holy is seen beneath the skin and the bones, what's there? The spirit is also there whispering the same thing. You are my child. You are my beloved. I love you and you are enough. Wow. Wow. It's the same spirit that's there in the desert and at the mountaintop. It's the same spirit that's there in our disappointment and our mess and the same spirit that's there in our surprise and wonder and experience of God and that which is more than us. So what happens in the story in response to this? We have Peter, James, and John, and they fall on the ground. And the story says this. It says, they were overcome with fear. They were overcome with fear. I think this is really important, and we don't know quite what to do with it, though. Like, fear is this weird thing. We're not how sure how we relate to this word or this concept or this experience. Culture, the news is peddling all sorts of fear constantly. It's fears always in our world and our lives. And fear is an important idea in the Bible. The Bible talks a lot about fear, and it talks about fear as the appropriate response to God. I think that's surprising to us. Often fear is something we want to get away from. We don't want to have to deal with it. But our sacred scriptures are saying, no, you want to embrace fear. You want to have fear with you because it's the appropriate response to God. And here's the problem, I think. I think that's been twisted and we've been made to fear the God who's angry with us, to fear the God that's far away from us, removed from us. We've been taught to fear the God who's judgmental of us. That's our problem. But one, one theologian who I love reflecting on this response of the, the disciples in this role of fear, he says this. He says, the disciples are appropriately fearful. They and we rightly fear God. And this is so important. If we do not fear God, our lives will be possessed by fears produced by our possessions and our anxieties, and every other thing. What's in the news? We're constantly going to be fearful. But here's the deal. Fear of the one who is compassion, and fear of the God who is grace and love, when you fear this God, that breaks all of our fears. It disarms our fears, and it says to us, and this is what Jesus says to his disciples, get up and don't be afraid. Get up and fear not. This morning, what is it that you're afraid of? What are you afraid of? I know we all have deep fears. Lift that up. Show it to Jesus and hear the words of Jesus. Jesus says to you, get up, fear not, do not be afraid. What keeps you from being whole and being healed? 
What keeps you from this? Jesus is saying to that, get up. Do not be afraid. Get up. Do not be afraid. What keeps you from loving unconditionally? To Jesus, Jesus is saying to that, don't be afraid. Get up. What's binding you? What's holding you back from living life fully? To that, Jesus is saying, get up. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And this isn't simply theory for Jesus. He tells, uh, he tells them, his, his disciples at the end, he says, hey, keep this experience close to you. Keep it close to the chest. Don't let out the word until the Son of Man has been raised. And if Jesus is to be raised, that means Jesus has to die first. And the reality is Jesus knows fear. Jesus knows fear and Jesus knows your fears. Jesus knows isolation. Jesus knows your isolation. Jesus is walking towards a cross. Jesus is walking towards death. Jesus is walking into suffering. And Jesus walks with us in our suffering. Jesus is walking toward an early grave. And carrying this weight, carrying all of this, Jesus still goes over and compassionately places his hands on his disciples. The story says he touches his disciples. I think this is so important, this touch here. Spirituality, practicing spirituality, takes our touch and, and it takes our, our fears uh, and, and our sorrows and our suffering and it turns it towards a touch of compassion and healing instead of fighting and struggling and hurting. So science Research shows us and tells us that one of the greatest traumas you can do to a child is withhold touch from a child when they're very young. And what happens is when children don't get the appropriate compassionate touch, they have increased um, levels of the stress hormone cortisol. Like this is biological fact. It's in the science. So compassionate touch is so important for us. It can literally change our biology. It can take down these cortisol levels. And even in the first moments of a baby's entry into the world, touch is so important. That's why they want skin-to-skin -skin contact between parent and child in the first hour after birth. When you have that contact, this is what it does for the baby. It helps regulate the baby's body temperature. It helps regulate the baby's heart rate. It helps regulate the child's breathing. It reduces their crying. It promotes healthy sleep and rest. Touch changes us in very physical ways. But the problem is, is adults, like we get away from this. We put up all these walls. We don't want anybody to touch us or get close to us. And then we're afraid to reach out and touch other people, but we need this. It changes us. It changes our reality entirely. So spirituality is about cultivating the courage and the wisdom to extend our arms compassionately to those around us because this changes us and it changes our world. It's with our hands properly sanitized, given everything that's going on, and washed. It's with our hands and our touch that we are given the keys to the kingdom of God. That's how the healing 
and work of God happens in the world. It's through our hands. So my hope is that we may use our hands to open our doors to this kingdom and this healing that God wants to bring into the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus and the way of spirituality that he shows us, a way that's lived in community at all sorts of levels, a way that's lived by extending compassionate touch to those around us, a way that says, don't be afraid in the midst of all the fears, God. We only have to fear you, the one who is compassion and love and grace. Let us find the Spirit. Let us be led by the Spirit that teaches us and empowers us to follow Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.